Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 76. This time, Pippin and I will be answering questions from our audience through that gave us questions through Twitter and post status Slack and email. But first, we do not have a sponsor this episode, uh, but we are celebrating 100,000 downloads. We have ticked over. Uh, we're like 101,000 or something, isn't it, Pippin? Something like that? Uh, 115,000. 115,000. Ooh, that's even better. Yes. So if you are interested in sponsoring, you can get this spot right at the top of the show for about $300. And that will get you about 2,100 unique downloads. So about 2,100 people will listen to your ad. And that's about 14 cents per person. So pretty good value there, I think. So yeah, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, we have a form at applyfilters.fm, so check it out. And uh, we'd be happy to talk about most products. Not every product, but most products. Pippin, shall we proceed? Yeah, let's dive in. So we've got a, a number of questions from, from people this time. Some were left over from when we asked for questions a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and we're gonna start with one from Travis Northcutt. Uh, he asked a really good question in post out of Slack this morning, and it might take up our full time. And so if we don't, if we end up just talking on this one for a while, then we'll go ahead and get to the rest of the questions next episode. And who knows however many after that. So anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to read to you what, what Travis wrote, and then we may rephrase it just a little bit. Travis said, so if you think it's going to be an interesting discussion, perhaps talking about working in advanced strategies versus just shipping. I often get excited about learning some new techniques or tools, but it's easy to get sucked into over-optimizing for perfection as opposed to just getting something built. You could spend hours and hours using all the latest best practices, but that doesn't mean you'll ship your product. So really, I think what Travis is really asking here is, um, is having a discussion on the, the philosophy of just ship it, basically get the MVP out the door as early as possible, versus getting your product, uh, whether it's a 1.0, a 2.0, a 3.0, perfect, and getting all of the rough edges smoothened out uh, and making sure that it's really well polished. So I think this is an excellent topic and uh, something we, we've known for a while, but we just re got reminded of this at the beginning uh, in our pre-show discussion, is that Brad and I actually have different philosophies about this. I think Brad, you and your team tend to uh, do a lot more polishing before shipping something. And I don't, I'm not saying that my, my team and I don't polish things, but for me, my personal philosophy has always been, let's just ship it. Let's get it live. It should be fully functional. It should be good to go, but it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect because I really like the approach of release often, iterate quickly. Right. I think what you just said is fair. I think, I think we do polish things uh, we tend to polish things quite a bit before we release. I do think that it's a balance, though. So, I mean, that's that's the whole thing, right? Like, how much do you polish it? You have to polish it a little bit, don't you? Like, <laughs> it can't be like a complete, you know, 
unusable Obviously, thing, it can't be right? broken and it can't yeah. be completely disjointed. Like, there needs to be some form of polish to it. But the, I think the, the real discussion there then is how far is enough and how far is too much kind of before you get yourself into a trap. There was a, a follow-up comment from another post-status member, Darren Ether, who said, seriously, though, the discussion is a good one. Part of the tension is that until you ship, you don't really know if the idea you have is crap. The difficulty with possibly shipping too early is determining whether it's crap because of the idea or the implementation. So it's a good segue into measuring the right data to help you answer the right question, which is a really important point. Uh, I mean, you could very easily work on a product for months and months and months and months, or not necessarily a product, it could be a feature. It could be a, ch- a, a UI design change. You could spend months or years doing it and then ship it only to discover that you did something terribly wrong because you misunderstood what your customers wanted or how your customers used a product. I think anybody that has ever built a feature into a product and then later on realized that nobody used it or that the feature didn't fulfill the need the customers had understand that that pain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's tricky though when you're talking about a feature though, right? Because let's say you launch a feature Right, and you and you go the you just ship it approach and just get it out. It's pretty rough, and you're measuring usage, and like no one's using it, or people use it and then stop using it immediately. Is that because it's not not very good, <laughs> or is it because the feature is just a feature that no one wants? If you don't polish it to your own satisfaction, that you can't really write off that that idea that that I have an example of this, I think from EDD in, uh, I want to say version 1.5, uh, which was two and a half, three, maybe four years ago at this point. I'm not sure how far away, how long ago it was. EDD did not originally ship with anything to collect sales tax. Number one, because I had had the philosophy, look, I'm just going to ship something early and we'll add features as we go. But then we did decide to add sales tax but we added a ridiculously simple implementation of sales tax, like to the point where it was almost useless for a lot of people. That implementation was definitely an example of, hey, let's just ship it and we'll iterate later. But the feedback that we got from customers after that was basically nobody used it because it was broken. They didn't, they didn't not use it because they didn't need it. They just didn't use it because it was broken. And so that was... That's one case where we should have polished it a lot more before ever releasing it. But then again, on the flip side, by releasing a broken feature, we better knew that people really did need the real feature. Right. That's a really good point. And I, I, we kind of did the same thing with MergeBot. When we pushed out a MergeBot, it was like, there was a lot of limitations, let's just say. <laughs> there was a lot of things that we hadn't done yet that we we were very sure that people were going to, um, not 100% sure, but like pretty sure that people are going to want these things, right? That, that they're not going to be able to even do very much without these things. And when we launched it, that's the feedback we got. These things are people things people need. And so although, although we launched and, and people couldn't use it right away because of those things, it did at least give us that confidence that we're pushing forward in the right on the right path right that we're that our priorities in or are in order and that that we these are things that we absolutely do need to knock out that people need so 
Yeah, I mean, I see the value of, of, of just shipping it for sure. And I think I wouldn't have done, I think doing MergeBot differently, if we, if we had have tried to polish everything before getting people's feedback, I think that would have been probably worse because we probably would have done some stuff that would have been unnecessary, right? So, so I think, there, okay, there's two kinds of, uh, maybe development areas where I think that these two philosophies can really apply. One is adding features or changing existing pro- an existing product, whether it is removing or adding features or changing features. The other one is shipping brand new products. Um, so I think the most dangerous trap is when you're shipping a brand new product, um, like MergeBot, for example, and you spend months or years building this thing and only to discover that people don't actually want it as much or that people wanted something different than you built. What you guys did with MergeBot was was probably very, very smart by not only releasing a beta version, but also being very clear with what you were trying to build into it and getting that feedback from people. Yeah. I think if I was to, if we were to start MergeBot again today, like if we could go back in time kind of thing, I think we would have even narrowed the problem space down to an even smaller thing so that we could get something out a lot sooner because it did take over a year in development to get the first beta out of this because because the scope of what we were trying to fix was so big. That's how long it took. Uh, But if we had narrowed that scope to, let's say, solving the... Uh, merging problem for WooCommerce or EDD or like some plugin, right? Or some very small subset of data. I think that would have been maybe more manageable and we could have, you know, shipped in maybe four months or something instead of 18 months, right? It's tricky, you know, it's easy to say now, right? <laughs> but it's it's hard to, it's hard to foresee that when, when you're in the moment. I- Another aspect as developers and product creators, uh, or really, really any, any kind of craftsperson that works on things. I mean, whether you're talking about code or, or construction or some kind of hobby project or art project, when you work on the same thing for a really, really long time, you get tired of it. You can get burnt out on it. You can stop seeing it, seeing the value in it for what the value really is. And so one of the things that I think is really, really healthy for, for creators to do is, is build new things a lot. And so sometimes I think it's really healthy to just sit down and hammer out something completely new and then just let it go. Basically, build something, put there, whether it's on a piece of paper, on a screen, in a code editor, or in some kind of like physical art form, just doing it and pushing it out to people can be really, really healthy for us as as creators, especially as developers, um, because I think too often we get caught up in th- in thinking about the oh well I need to do that one I need to figure out that I need to take care of that problem I need to add this or I need to add this before it's ready. I think the effects of not not just on like having somebody else come in and use what you've built, but the internal like mental effects of just building something and pushing it out, releasing it right away is really really good for us. Uh, there was a follow-up comment from John Jacoby uh, in the post at Slack this morning on the same topic. And John was at LoopConf, where I was also uh, last week, and he gave a talk about 
um, some Unix philosophies. And he he mentioned this talk this in his comment. So anyway, here's what he said. So hang on, is this is this Unix like the the operating system Unix? I would assume so. Yes. <laughs> so like that that I guess so the design of that operating system. So these are some of the philosophies. In some of the, some of the philosophies they use in building Unix. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So here's what John said. One of the Unix philosophies I talked about at LoopConf is about prototyping early. I think that applies to both agencies and individuals. What doesn't always happen with either group is the additional polish necessary to take an idea from prototype to production ready. The reasons for which could be time, budget, stress, personal, professional experience, etc. The best part of shipping is the byproduct. What did you learn? What other things did you do to do the thing that you tried to do? And then there's a follow-up comment, but first need to give a little bit of info. John and I actually sat down at LoopConf and had a little code session for about eight hours in a bar. Uh, I had prevented, I presented him with an idea of something I wanted to build, and we ended up just saying, hey, why don't we go sit down and build it? And so we ended up building this plugin called WP Meta Manager. And anyway, here's what John said about that. The byproduct of Pippin and I jamming on WP Meta Manager at LoopConf was feeling energized about writing crappy raw code again. I think there's there's two really important takeaways, at least for me in this. Number one is he's right. A lot of people do just ship something and then don't have the follow through to actually continue polishing it um, to make it really production ready. So they build a prototype and that's as far as it gets. On the flip side, sometimes just building a, pr a prototype and not worrying about the polish can be really, really helpful healthy and like and what John said was feeling energized about it. It was really fun to just sit down and throw crappy code on the screen and just make something work out of nothing. And that's something that I think some people get too caught up on with the polish. Now when it comes time to actually release that as a final product, I think it is still really great. If you can take the time to go ahead and find that polish. Right. So you guys I'm guessing you guys weren't running writing unit tests for your code. <laughs> uh, no, we didn't write units, but we were we were striving to write testable code, and I think we mostly did. Right. Oh, that's good. That's cool. So anyway, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent discussion. If anybody listening has uh, any follow up comments or questions related to ship it versus polish, let us know. Yeah, I mean, I guess to summarize, but what we both said, I mean. Isn't is just a balance? <laughs> Isn't that it? There is no like easy answer to this. That it's oh, I, th I think absolutely. There's definitely no easy answer. Right. Yeah. So there you go, Travis. We haven't helped you at all, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but hopefully you can glean something from from the discussion. Our next question is from Scott Fennell, uh, and he says, uh, "How do you go about debugging front end performance?" How do I know if my JS is using too much CPU? Ooh. Mm -hmm. uh, can I turn this over to you? <laughs> uh, no, I was hoping you do the answer to this. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, Front-end front -end performance testing, at least in the realm of JavaScript, is something I have not really done much of. Um, I have had the opportunity to see some some comparisons of say like a, um, whether it's a single piece of code or in, uh, in all of the code for a particular page uh, and seeing a bad version and a good version. And it is pretty astounding. 
I think a lot of times, especially people that are primarily backend developers or system developers tend to forget about or ignore front-end performance. So basically we can, we can toss anything in the brow, anything into JavaScript, whether it's DOM manipulation or action, like click actions or anything that we want. And just, you know what, it's going to be super fast. It's not, we're not going to have any kind of performance slowdown because we're not querying any databases. We're not writing files. We're not doing anything like that. And I think that's the attitude that we tend to have a lot of times. And it's totally not true. We can destroy front-end performance with JavaScript uh, very, very easily. Uh, so it, I think you should keep it in mind. Unfortunately, I really don't have any tips for how to yeah how to debug I, performance. I don't. I don't either uh, because I haven't, like you, I haven't done it really. Uh, where I would start though is I would start with um, with uh, Chrome's developer tools, and uh, I, I notice it, just opening it here right now that the profiles tab allows you to record a JavaScript CPU profile. So. I'd play around with that, probably do some Googling uh, to, to see what other people are doing uh, with the con the console and, and uh, Chrome developer tools. I know we had CPU, we had some JavaScript performance issues, although they were, I guess they were more like DOM um, performance issues. So what was happening with Migrate TV Pro is that we were adding, like if you were uh, migrating media files, let's say, and you had like 10,000 or more media files, it would just add them all to the DOM for the progress, to, to display the progress. And so when you add 10,000 elements to the DOM, the browser starts to get pretty sluggish. But I, I guess that's not really JavaScript CPU, that's that's more the DOM itself. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Other than that, um, that's, all, that's the best I got for you. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, earlier, we, we read a comment from uh, Darren Ether, and Darren also had a, um, a question or a topic that he had submitted a, a couple of weeks ago. I think he was uh, we had him on, on the list for last episode, and then we didn't get to him. So anyway, Darren says, could you talk about what PHP features would make WordPress development easier if WordPress was no longer restricted by supporting PHP 5.2? Yes. Uh, so he gives. I have an answer for this because I actually right. did the research last week. <laughs> because this is not obvious, right? I had to actually look up what new features were added in PHP 5.3 to, to see, you know, what's, what's the difference between PHP 5.2 and 5.3. And it's not like 5.3 came out yesterday. Like PHP 5.3, I think, was released in 2007. <laughs> so it's been. Well, a decade, <laughs> or just about. So namespaces were introduced in PHP 5.3. Closures, so also known as anonymous functions, so allowing your PHP code to look a little bit more like JavaScript. Uh, late, late static bindings was, were added. Jump labels, which I didn't think was in any programming language besides Besides, I have no idea what jump labels are. I think, well, I, I know like go to, you can say go to and like, and you, you go to a label. It, it comes from like assembler kind of stuff, like label, jump labels. I don't know. If I saw them in some PHP code, I think I might throw up a little bit in my mouth because like, it just seems, it just seems wrong. I, I, maybe I just don't know how they're supposed to be used in, in PHP, but and then, then another thing uh, is magic methods. So 
methods like underscore underscore call static and underscore underscore invoke. So, so those are just a few of the nice features that we could start to use in WordPress development if the day comes where we drop support for PHP 5.2. But those are pretty significant features, though, in, in, uh, in PHP, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's not even, that's not taking into account any of the, the other major improvements that there are, at, as well as security problems that have been fixed. That is just, that's just syntax, basically. That's available in 5.3 and greater. Yeah, but I mean, some of these features allow us to do, to use other kinds of patterns, right, in our programming. You know, we're, we're limited right now by the features in PHP 5.2, so... It's really interesting. Like, I, I mean, namespaces alone to be able to like organize the code better. I, I think that would be an interesting development. I know people have been talking about namespaces in the WordPress community. I think that is the discussion that's really interesting to have is um, first of all, let me preface this by for a moment we're going to completely ignore all of the other reasons to drop five two from security to performance fix etc and only focus on the syntax that we have in 5.3 and greater. So the discussion is basically, is there a significant something that can be done in 5.3, 5, 5.4, 5, uh, 5.5, and 7 that cannot be done in 5.2? There, there's tons of, there's a lot of syntax you can do, but I think it's really interesting to look at like actual examples. Like for example, for someone to put forth a feature or a a something that they they can build in five three plus and they cannot build it in five two, and I actually think that there are qu- there are very very few of those examples. Sometimes you have to be a little bit creative, um, but I think it is worthwhile to look at. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating to use five two at all. I really do five I, two for life, man. <laughs> Upgrade, upgrading everything that I have to, to seven might be one of the best upgrades I've ever done. Uh, Absolutely. But I do yeah. think it is, it is interesting to, to, to look at what are, ignore, again, ignoring security, ignoring performance, ignoring some of those things, which should not be ignored. They're, it's only for this exercise. Um, it is interesting to look at what you can do in 5.2 or what you can do in 5.3 plus that you cannot do in 5.2. Um, and sometimes I, I think it's an interesting challenge to, to developers are problem solvers. And so take something that you cannot build in, in versions below 5.3 and find a way to build it in 5.2 is an interesting challenge. And I think in, in, that's a place that WordPress actually deserves a lot of credit for. Yeah. Limitations like, is the friend of creativity, right? Like <laughs> you're able to be more creative when, you're, when you have certain constraints that you have to get around. Anyway, next question is from Scott. I think we have time for probably two more. Yeah, sure. Uh, from Scott Fennell again. He says, do you have a plugin template that you recommend? I struggle with class architecture in each new plugin. All right. What do we got here? Um, so there are two pretty well-known templates for plugins available, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, I'm sure there are many, many more and lots of lots of people, whether independent developers or agencies have built their own, but there's two main ones. So number one is the WordPress plugin boilerplate generator, 
which you can find at wppb.me. What it does is it, it basically gives you a, a base plugin. You it gives you a form. You fill in your name, the slug, the URI, the author name, the author email, etc., and it builds you a basic template that you can then download and use as a start. This template was originally based on Tom McFarland's WP plugin boilerplate, which was a really good starter plugin uh, that Tom maintained for quite a while, and as of recently. Uh, transferred it over to Devin Vinson, who I believe now maintains the, the boilerplate generator as well. The other one is the WordPress plugin boilerplate, and that is at wppb.io. Now, I may be wrong, but these might actually be the same. Yes, these are the same project. So he's got two things, actually. He's got one that is just the plain boilerplate that you can download and then rework yourself and then he's got one that actually is a generator that downloads a boilerplate with all of the, the names and such replaced oh, for you. Oh, okay. I see. Just super handy. Okay. so We'll include links to those in the show notes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would. I think that's probably the main one that people tend to use. Yeah, I think so. All right. So for our last question, this is from Brady Vircher. He's He asks... How do you handle and encourage responsible disclosure of security vulnerabilities? Hmm. Do you guys have a formal method? Uh, no, we don't have a formal method, I don't think. But, I mean, the responsible thing to do is to fix it, depending on the severity, right? If it's a very severe security vulnerability, fix it immediately, push out an update, and then let everyone know about it. Um, sometimes if it's really serious, you should wait bef before so that ever, you know, people have a chance to update. We saw this recently with WordPress core, the re most recent version. I can't remember the version number. 4.7.2. 4, 4, 4.71. Is that right? 4.72. 4.72. Yes. Yes. So they, they pushed 4.72 out. And then I think about a week later, they let everyone know that there's a serious vulnerability in 4.7.1. And that everyone needs to update if they haven't already done so. So I think that 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 process seems to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, what what do you guys have a formal process, Pippin? Or? Well, we have a we have a couple of things. Number one, we have a security email address that people can email us. Um, two, we have a private security channel inside of our Slack rooms to be able to have a, a private secure place that we can discuss security problems and then beyond that we have things like on our github repositories for example uh, they're inside of the contributing md file and in our readme files we often include a, uh, a section about security vulnerabilities to try and prevent people from opening github issues about security vulnerabilities and it just explains to them hey if you have oh, if you found a security vulnerability please report it via this channel privately and then we'll work with you to get it tracked down and get it resolved I think that's the main thing is first, you just need to provide a, a way for people who have found something to report it to you privately, and you need to try to encourage that. And if you do get something uh, reported publicly, say on a public support form or via Twitter or Facebook, do what you can to get it removed ASAP and then move that to a private channel. Right. Um, Those are all very good things. I like the idea of having... Um, like a dedicated email address for, for security stuff. Just, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, 
Another thing that I think a lot of people are probably unaware of is that if you have a WordPress plugin or a WordPress theme, it's more likely to happen in a plugin, but it can happen in a theme too, and it has a security vulnerability, uh, you can reach out to security at wordpress.org or plugins at wordpress.org um, and, and the teams there will work with you to get that resolved. Um, this, now, if, if you have a commercial plugin, this is a different story because then it's all hosted by you. But if it's hosted on WordPress.org, reach out to the WordPress.org teams because if, it, if it's a severe enough vulnerability, uh, they can help you actually push out a, a, an automatic update to all users of your plugin or your theme, uh, which can dramatically de-escalate the problem, especially if it's a really secure vulnerability. Cool. Should we wrap it up? All right. Thank, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. And we've got quite a few more. So we'll probably do this again next episode or soon after that. If you have any other questions that you would like to see answered, send them to us on Twitter or Slack or send them to us via email, whichever way is easiest. And we will do our best to get them included. For sure. This is the part of the show where we usually thank our sponsor again. And that could be you. <laughs> so if you're interested in sponsoring again just head on over to our site applyfilters.fm and submit the form that's there and we can go from there thanks everybody